0: It is nice to have that NPC arbiter who's like, combat's getting boring. Oh, well, (laughs) really? (laughs) Unleash the lions.
1: dangerous spice world in new york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 144 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss
0: our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're spicing up your life one combat at a time but first the rogue traders unmask their foe in the dynasty unwarranted campaign and later izanagi refuses to believe in defeat in the character creation forge Shane, when you say the mundane spice world, do you mean Arrakis, or do you mean our world in which the Spice Girls reign supreme? I, I mean the happier version. So Arrakis, <laughs> yeah. uh, ruled by Baby Spice. <laughs> the Baby Spice must flow. Is Baby Spice your favorite Spice Girl? Uh, I liked Sporty Spice actually. I like Scary Spice. Yeah, uh, she still. She's one of the ones who still does stuff, right? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean i guess they are they having a reunion or something i think a couple of them went on to have actual careers like uh what's her name jerry Howell uh is she the one who married david beckham no that's victoria no. beckham who is posh right Posh Spice. okay <laughs> wait a minute uh, mel b that's scary spice mel b is scary spice mm-hmm. mel c was sporty spice Oh, you're right and then i have no idea what baby spice's actual name was let's go with Emma Mel G no, yeah, no it? I think you're right I think it is Emma I don't know where her last name was I don't actually care hey uh, at total part no at TBT cast let us know <laughs> who is your favorite is your spice <laughs> girl your favorite spice girl right <laughs> great it's also anime so this is my favorite month of the year right now hey I mean yes yeah, speaking of magical girls yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, Shane doesn't watch any anime So we relatively often get requests for uh, anime characters in the Character Creation Forge. And now we are taking them, your requests, and mushing them all into one month, the month of May, which fortunately has five Thursdays this year. Fortunately. Hey! hey, hey. And giving you five anime-themed Character Creation Forge builds. So we're starting today. Uh, Shane, did you, would you prefer um, at some point in the future, do you want to do like a sporty September? Sportsball September, huh? huh? Can we do Overwatch October? overwatch October? We, we can do a whole month of video game characters if you want. I would be so happy if we put all the video game characters in one month. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to do all video games. I just want to do Overwatch. Just though, Because <laughs> I only play one video game. Okay, I'm in. I'm down. We could do that. Don't hold me to that. (laughs) If we hit $600 on (laughs) Mitchell. we'll do Overwatch-tober. All right. Speaking of bad ideas, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty
1: Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the rogue traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen dark angel, Lord Cypher. And now occupied by Lazfire hitting us in the face. Uh, Yes. Well, your Lazfire, they're Pulsefire, actually. Oh. As you're about to learn for sure. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for us. Uh Yes, because you have occupied the fortress, but you are now under attack. You have repelled the first attack in the upper casements, uh, but are now being hit hard in the basement of the fortress.
0: Now, Tricks and Flare are on their way to reinforce us. Uh, they were inspecting the hallways upstairs, and they found a false panel, which is great, but they didn't investigate because they were scared. Uh, they stationed some armsmen to guard it, who are definitely going to die, uh, and now they are coming to help us.
1: Yeah, and they were investigating because uh, during the attack on the upper casements, uh, as soon as you mounted an organized resistance, the attackers sort of faded away. They they disappeared along with all of their dead, and you have no clue where they went. So you suspect they have
0: melted into the walls using hidden passages. Into the woods in their cave with their one priestess who uses a lot of poison. That That's probably where they went. Okay, so... I saw the 13th warrior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That must be what it is. Yeah,
1: definitely. Anyway, so Trix and Flare are racing down to the basement to reinforce. Uh, Draco and the rest of you are already there fighting off the attackers. Uh, Draco has suffered multiple chest wounds, which is always a great feeling for old Draco. At least it wasn't anywhere important. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least you can live without chests. <laughs> we'll just get you an augmetic chest. <laughs> uh and ultimately with uh with tricks and flare arriving in time, you do uh repel the attack here as well. Um, you force the attackers into retreat and get yourself a moment to breathe. Um and more importantly, I think, for your own self-confidence, you are able to recover some of the bodies of the attackers and
0: what do you determine they're just men. Well, kind of. Oh, no? No, wait, what are they? They are uh, mutants. Mutant heretic scum. But mostly men, which is
1: better than you were fearing. Oh, yeah. They're they're not demons yet. (laughs) And they're not ghosts or specters, which is even better. Yeah, because mutants I can shoot. Right. Uh, But they are wearing these grotesque, like, burn blackened steel masks over their faces, along with um like sort of black combat fatigues head to toe uh you know shrouded uh and bearing these like twisted faces of mockery um rather intimidating
0: and unsettling but uh a little less so when they're dead most interesting to trank they carry pulse weapons that he doesn't recognize
1: and you recognize pulse weapons cuz trank carries pulse weapons yeah yeah,
0: which is why they hurt so much. <laughs> Although Draco's fine. He's fine. He'll he'll probably make it. <laughs> so, unlike the attack in the upper casements, we are able to figure out how this happened. They had actually blasted through a false wall that leads to a large tunnel that's dug into the bedrock of the foundation. Yeah, and by, by large tunnel, we mean, like, multiple men can
1: march side by side through this tunnel. It's a like pretty big tunnel. A gigantic tunnel. And they
0: have seemingly retreated down that tunnel. Unfortunately, some of us follow them. Tricks and Flare are consumed by bloodlust and psychic energy. And they charge down the, ch- the tunnel after the mutants. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So, this week, we're talking about spicing up your combat. And the inspiration for this episode comes from a question from our listener, Paul. So Paul sent an
1: example of uh, of your your rather routine and mundane combat, right? So uh, Ishan, it's your turn. I swing my axe. Shane, it's your turn. I cast Fireball, make a deck save. Okay, I failed. How much damage do they take? Okay, they attack you. What's your AC? Okay, Ishan, it's your turn again. I swing my axe. That's how you're supposed to play. That's how the book says it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So Paul asks... What can DMs and players do to spice this up? As a player, as a character, Ishin's biggest damage dealer is his great axe. Of course, he should swing it. But if all he's doing every turn is swinging his great axe, that's boring and repetitive. Everyone's just going to keep doing their strongest attack and nothing else. Is that right? What else should they do? I mean, I know a DM should describe how some of these things go, but what are some more colorful ideas for these descriptions of battle? Maybe the DM should ask the players to describe their hits?
0: I don't know. Hey. There is nothing boring about just hitting with a great axe over and over again. That's why you picked a great axe. <laughs> yeah, it's not called the okay axe. <laughs> this ain't some boring sword. <laughs> I'm here to split skulls. Right, the dull sword. <laughs> it's not one of those. <laughs> Alright, so Paul's on the right track. There are a couple of different things that you can do to make what can turn to it into a slog much more interesting. And of course the first one is using creative descriptions. So Paul alluded to it.
1: You can always prompt the players for more narration, but players have their own sort of limits on what they can do. So sometimes you have to give them uh, tools that they can use to sort of carry that along, right? So um, we, we often end up in that sort of routine, sort of I do this move, um, it does this much damage. But then we give the players like a, a chance to do a little extra description uh, when they actually kill something, for example, right? So when the orc falls, we say, hey, how did you kill it? And then we give them a spotlight uh,
0: for a little bit extra narration. Now, that can get a bit tedious if you're doing that for every single swing for every single person. Um, in a combat round you know you've got six players that's a lot of prompting and a lot of description and it can you know take a really long time so you can also just at the end of each round as a gm summarize what happened with um an epic description
1: yeah jim in our group um does this super well like he's really good about like okay you cast a healing spell you know you cast fireball You sneak attack with your rapier and you attacked with your great axe. Okay, so that all happens. The enemies attack and then he goes, okay, so here's what just happened. You come in with a rapier in the in the kidney just as the fireball goes off, right? Then, you know, the barbarian comes down with a great axe right to the neck and beheads the minotaur. And then meanwhile, the minotaur gets one last gash in on uh like deep into his leg, but the cleric is right there to cast heal
0: on him and you're able to turn around and now face your next foe. Yeah. You're covered in blood, you're dripping in sweat, you hear the clash of steel in the distance. Uh, you're up. What do you do? And ultimately, that doesn't take a lot more time in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't pull you out of combat, uh, away from like the, the mechanics or the nitty gritty. It actually sets the scene really well and helps refocus everyone back onto what is actually happening. They don't. You know, people tend to sort of drift in and out when it's not necessarily right. their turn. And it also avoids that like awkward pause that happens
1: when you're like, okay, what does that look like? And the player is like, uh, well, um. You know, I swing my sword and and I hit him in the chest. And it's awesome. Right. And it's like, okay, but, but like, what does it look like? Right. Where you have to go through this kind of 21 questions of a player who maybe isn't as confident or isn't ready to improvise that type of description. Mm-hmm. But outside of just describing combat, um, we have a few techniques that we like to spice up our encounters so that they aren't samey. Right. So even if you're doing the same things in them, you have... Uh, other things going on around you that it's not just swing with your axe. Yeah,
0: I think the secret ingredient really is uh, cumin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that works. Too. Mm-hmm. I like saffron. Oh, well, huh, big spender over yeah, here. I, Look yeah, at this I guy. Know, yeah.
1: <laughs> I like whatever they, whatever they use when they tell me they're putting oh, saffron. okay.
0: I like red. <laughs> <laughs> I like cilantro because that helps me determine if you're a good person or not. Because 30% of people hate it. Right. And those people are Terrible, terrible people. My wife actually hates it. Yeah, I know. Like I said. Yeah. She's, mm -hmm. oh God, she married me. What an idiot. Uh, Well, you know, she doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say whatever I want. Good point. (laughs) But instead of actually adding flavor, you can add scenery to the actual combat. Like, here's where you are. Here is terrain that you can actually interact with. Yeah, I like to kind of set the
1: stage by giving a broad description of the room and then highlighting some of the specific objects in it. So like, you know, if you're about to have a fight in a banquet hall, you might say it's a fine dining room lined with expensive artwork. Uh, In the center is a large banquet table with uh, place settings for 30. And it's a well-lit room owing to the three massive crystal chandeliers hanging from the
0: ceiling this is especially great when uh you know that that's all about to get ruined horribly yeah Yeah. (laughs) set set things that are very very nice so you can (laughs) smash them in the fight (laughs) you're about to fight a duel great describe in detail the uh elaborate and expensive brocade (laughs) (laughs) you know if you don't get blood on that you can loot it right and if, if the players
1: aren't taking the prompt from the scenery, right? If, if you mention that there's braziers in the room, you mentioned there's chandeliers, um, you know, there's a oil drums stacked over in a corner or whatever. If, if they're not picking up that they can interact with those things, demonstrate it to them, right? Have your NPCs use those objects against the players.
0: Yeah, I love the banquet scene because that's often a time when the uh, party is going to be disarmed. You don't necessarily have your sidearm or your sword, and almost never your shield, right? While you're while you're at the banquet, oh, but I, I put my shield on the back of my chair. Oh, okay, yeah. right. It's just it's heraldry, right? Yeah. <laughs> I put mine in uh, augmetic implants underneath my skin. No, oh, yeah. that's that's a safer way to do it. That's much better. You've been at this a lot longer than I have. <laughs> But the enemy is probably also disarmed as well. So I guess maybe they use one of those very expensive, very heavy forks as an improvised weapon and (laughs) try to throw it into your throat. Duel with steak knives. (laughs) Um, You know,
1: the first time that you have an NPC swinging from a chandelier, the players are going to get jealous and start swinging from chandeliers, right? Um, Or if you've got like uh, some type of area attack or like even like a fireball, um, that you could be using, right? Instead, reflavor that as uh, the mage casts a spell and the chandelier crashes down from the
0: ceiling, sending glass everywhere, make a deck save. Mm-hmm. And now that's difficult terrain or essentially Caltrops on the ground, right. something like that. Exactly. Um, it, it, it is interactive and it is dynamic. Um, and it also gives players something to do that isn't just I swing of the sword. Like, So even if you're sitting at the banquet table and you do have a great axe. Um. Yeah, you could probably like leap over the table, take a great axe and try to chop someone's head off. But if fireballs are incoming, it's probably a better use of your action to take the table and that's made of oak, flip it over flip and hide. Over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get everyone else into cover. Right.
1: So yeah, so part of it is just if the NPCs aren't simply swinging their axes, the players won't expect that they should simply swing their axes as well. Um, and then as a way of sort of encouraging this i like uh the torch from phoenix dawn command which is a a literal card that gets passed around with um, elements of the scene in it Um, and you gain a bonus to what you're doing for invoking one of the elements in the scene so you you get like you know it's like a you get to use an extra card uh, in your, when you're playing from your hand if you're using one of the things written on the torch.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think as a GM, it's totally fine to reference those environmental factors when you're describing the results. You don't necessarily need to say, for example, advantage on this roll or like a plus two or whatever, right? You can actually just uh, keep it to yourself, right? Okay, you've, you flip the table. Great. Uh, give me a dexterity save against this fireball. They roll, and they're like, oh, only a 13. You're like, normally that would fail. However, the oak table takes the brunt of it, so you only take half damage. Right. Good tactics. Or give them a little, like,
1: leeway in the action economy, right? Normally it takes your full action to flip a table, right? But if you're going to flip the table, maybe you can also make an attack in that process. Like, so you give up one
0: of your attacks to flip a table rather than all of them. Right. Uh, You don't want to be punishing people for... Uh, coming up with inventive ideas. If you you want them to do something other than what's prescribed in the combat section of the book. you want them to be um, doing something new and, and trying uh, different things, great. You need to incentivize them and you especially need to make sure you're not punishing them right. So another important thing um, for making combat more interesting
1: is to integrate it into the story that you're telling. Right? Make sure that the combat is posing a question and not just, can you kill this thing or can you survive this
0: experience? I mean, those are the ultimate questions. Come on. <laughs> right. I am a philosopher. I ask myself every morning, can I kill this thing? Can I survive this life? <laughs> Almost certainly not. You know, Billy Corgan says, I can't. I believe it. Oh, Billy, we're all religious pumpkins. So ask questions of
1: the of the party things like can you stop the ritual in time can you save the princess can you
0: disable the bomb yeah can you rescue these innocent bystanders from the villain Uh, and make sure that the answer to those questions is not set in stone spider-man never answers the question can i defeat the green goblin
1: right like spider-man versus the green goblin spider-man wins but the the challenge he always has is can i defeat the green goblin and avoid all of this collateral damage that I will invariably be blamed for by J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. And I just dropped
0: a Spider-Man the movie reference. Look Not you. a comic book reference. <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about this in um, episode 5, all the way back in episode 5, alternative alternative combat objectives. It gives you some, some other goal that the party needs or wants to accomplish while they're still fighting. And this can run the gamut between oh god, like that's my family there and I need to save them from the sacrificial altar which is you know probably very intense all the way to uh, I really need to make sure I get a good shot of me swinging on this web so I can sell it to Jameson and actually make any money right (laughs) because I have rent to pay
1: (laughs) or I don't really want to have this fight if I'm not going to end up with that axe
0: so I need to steal that guy's axe before he beats it yeah because uh, when he dies I'm pretty sure he explodes right (laughs) right This can even be, like, slapstick, you know? Like, if you're playing a type of game... Like, if you're playing a swashbuckler game, then one of the objective is, like, do cool stuff and quip about it. Right. Uh, and, you know, if the, if the action that a character is taking does ultimately boil down to, I stab it with my rapier, that's totally fine if, like, you know, you're kicking dead bodies off your boot and, uh, you know, you're making fun of the enemy... Uh, in like the wittiest way possible, because that's what you do. Or if you've stripped off
1: the tablecloth and are waving it like a Toreador and stabbing the enemy on the way through,
0: and that doesn't need to necessarily have like a mechanical representation, right? But if it does, great, right? Just roll with it. You know, it, this harkens back to um, allow your players to improvise and incentivize that as well. So another thing you can do with your combat is. Let
1: combat tell you about the world, right? Answer questions like, what enemies are here and why? Like, who are these people that I'm fighting against? Like, why are we fighting Nazis in this abandoned mineshaft? Why were they here?
0: Yeah, if the Nazis are here, they're here for a reason. A a bad reason. Right. It means that we need to be investigating more, right? Like, this is not just a, a combat that is happening devoid of context. Yeah, exactly. And
1: and your story isn't stopping because a fight has started, right? Like, the plot is still advancing as part of this fight.
0: Yeah, uh, we talked last episode, or I talked last episode a bit about, and I'm reading through Gaunt's Ghost right now, and one of the things I really like is you get descriptions of enemies, but also allies, and, you know, all the different regiments, like armor, uh, or heraldry, or things like that. And it tells you so much about who they are and where they came from, right? Like, the Vitrians have reflective like mirrored glass armor Mm -hmm. Uh, and that tells you about their world which is not a forest planet it's more like a desert planet right Uh, it also tells you that like they march in formation and don't really hide they're reflective yeah (laughs) or uh the jantine patricians are
1: heavy infantry right so they are like the knights of the imperial guard effectively right like they rely on their armor whereas like the tanith the the heroes of the gaunt's ghost novel Are lightly armored and they use stealth and sort of
0: subterfuge in order to infiltrate and get the advantage Mm -hmm. so what equipment are these enemies using uh in this mineshaft and does that make sense and if it doesn't make sense then what does that tell you about what they were doing here and what you then will need to deal with in the future yeah like if you fought nazis in three different theaters already in this
1: campaign but this set of nazis happens to have like a strange energy weapon Well, why? What is going on here? How are these Nazis different from the other ones? I guess we're just going to need to kill all the Nazis. I mean, that's
0: step one. First of all, (laughs) kill the Nazis. Step two, figure out what was going on. In hindsight, it was a good thing that we killed all those Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Said everyone always. (laughs) And of course, the information that you're gathering may not necessarily be about what is happening right now here in this combat or what these Nazis are doing here in this shaft. It could be telling you about who they're working for or what, they, what they've been tasked with.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of like, you're trying to figure out who the big bad is and then the, the mooks are, are scared of you and trying to run away and they just accidentally revealed their boss. Like, we can't retreat. Bartok will have our heads.
0: Wait, what did you say? Was that Bartok with a With a K? Bartok? Or is it a Martok? Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Yeah, Spell that. Make him squeal again. (laughs) 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 What do you do? Uh, I fire wildly over their heads. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It also tells you a lot if the enemies are acting out of character. If you're fighting kobolds in a cave, that makes perfect sense. That's where kobolds live. But if they're fighting to the death and not running away and not luring you into traps, something is really wrong. Right. Or alternatively,
1: if the kobolds aren't defending this cave, if they're actually fleeing, attempting
0: to flee out the way you came, why? What's going on? What's chasing them? Right. Right. We thought this was their, like, holy shrine. This should be the time they take a stand. Right. Uh, The Nazis are leaving and allowing us to capture the Ark. Uh, Why? (laughs) Why? Did they want us to open it first? Right. <laughs> Damn, those Nazis got smarter. Oh, <laughs> Hitler stopped making uh, tanks and he started making headbands of intellect. <laughs> uh,
1: and keep in mind, combat also tells you about the PCs. So, if you give them a choice, like which option do they prioritize? Right. Like if they have an option of saving their friend or saving a group of innocent people, which one do they do? Or do they attempt to avoid the choice and do both possibly failing at both? So it's not just the outcome that matters. It's
0: also the approach that matters, right? Yeah. We've talked a lot about uh, making sure that you present your party with moral conundrums. Um, options where there isn't necessarily a right or wrong choice to be made Um, but those are opportunities for your players to figure out who this character is Um, you know we, we talked about an alignment previously like you you don't necessarily know how you're going to be acting out your alignment or or sometimes even what your alignment is going to be until your character actually needs to make choices in the heat of the moment right and I think even if you're like, oh, I'm chaotic good. Uh, I you know watch out for everybody, and I, I have like a heart of gold. If presented with an opportunity to save innocence or save your own hide, and you make the save your own hide choice, you may want to like reflect on exactly what your alignment actually is, or what it's becoming.
1: Right. So another important thing for spicing up combat is to ensure you've got a dramatic setup, right? So perhaps it's dramatic enough to have a fight in a in a banquet room i don't know but if you have sort of the iconic subcases of combat right like ambushes or infiltrations uh that require sort of finesse and setting up and and getting the right people into the right places right you're creating a more
0: dramatic encounter overall if your goal is to shake things up and make sure that your players are not just doing the same standard tactic over and over again just make it so their standard tactic doesn't work for some reason maybe the pyromancer is facing a fire elemental I guess he has to dip back into ray of frost
1: Right. or maybe like the enemy warlord has a refractor field that blocks incoming projectiles so you need to fight in hand to hand uh, inside his field in order to harm him or we shoot the roof over oh, his head. Or you shoot the roof over his head. <laughs> Either one is fine. But it's not
0: boring. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I going to quickly replan how that refractor field works. I shoot the floor out from under his feet. How about that? How about that? Uh, this I should have <laughs> not built this fortress over lava. Oh, been hoisted by my own petard. <laughs> the refractor field works against the lava. It takes him ten seconds to die. Right. <laughs> Uh, you can also ensure that there
1: are uh, unusual constraints, right? So not being able to use, like, fire against a fire elemental is one, but, you know, if you need to be stealthy, perhaps you
0: can't use spells or you can't use loud guns, stuff like that. And this can be one of those times when you actually let someone use their standard kit. Like, great, the rogue gets to shine in this opportunity, and the barbarian and the great sword fighter are back on their heels, figuring out a different way to be useful. We're just going to grab them and hold them down. Let the rope rope go stabby. (laughs) Grapple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, I'll look up the rules.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Glad I took commander strike.
1: (laughs) Uh, And then the last thing that I would suggest to spice up combat... Is to add some chaos into the encounter. Oh, that's heresy. That's little c chaos. But oh, okay. I mean, maybe some okay. big
0: c chaos. I don't know where <laughs> I don't know where your game is going. <laughs> I mean, I think you can put that in any game. You know, <laughs> swashbucklers, mm, cracking. Right. This is you know moving or unstable terrain. This is the fun if tropey arena combat where there are random traps that you know hurt anyone who comes near them. Right, or perhaps not even random, perhaps
1: deliberate. Right? If the crowd votes that the fight is getting boring, the arena mixes up. So
0: you better make it entertaining for the crowd, or else they will strike back. Yeah, oh, it is nice to have that um, NPC arbiter. Yeah, who's like, I'm getting bored. <laughs> like, like, let's just unless, wait, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's lampshade this combat's getting boring. Oh well, <laughs> you, really? <laughs> the audience thinks so too. <laughs>
1: um at uh Catacon in 2015 uh at a game i was playing we had a fight inside like the top of a circular tower uh in which the outside edge of the room like the outside few squares spun rapidly but the center stayed still uh which created a ton of like weird interactions as like you were involuntarily moved around and potentially like getting a chance to hit something or whatever um But also, like, there wasn't enough room in the center. So fighting for room in the center was important. But then, like, if you were on the outside, you had to maintain your balance in order to do stuff. And so, like, it became this, like, crazy, chaotic, unpredictable fight where when it was your turn, you were like, I don't know what to do here. I'll just I'll try and get in the center. Like, I'll try and push that guy out, whatever. (laughs) And, you know, and then there's spikes and, and stuff like that, too, to hurt you.
0: Yeah, it's like bocce. Obviously, I yeah. run toward the center. I knock that guy out of the way. <laughs> yes. He gets thrown to the outside, and, and then, hit he with spikes, <laughs> then spinning blades, uh, <laughs> slice off his arm. Yeah, you do want to make sure that it doesn't get too yakety sacks, unless it's that kind of game. You know, where you, you're, you sort of have frustrated players who are like, "Uh, like I can't do anything ever because I'm making like a DC nineteen balance check, right?" And I keep falling on my ass, right?
1: You want to make sure that characters can still have agency but just that they're not necessarily um, able to use their normal approach to anything, to everything.
0: And you can do this even when uh, you haven't set up the entire uh, situation to be chaotic. You know, you can have random effects in pretty much any place that a combat is taking place.
1: Yeah, the, the thing that I would caution there is like, um, you know the the iconic one for me in Princess Bride is the fire swamp, right, where there's just random gouts of flame that burst up and hurt you. Um, the problem for a player is that you can't really like plan on those because they're too random, right? Like you can't they're just a random effect that occasionally affects you, and there's nothing you can really do about it except hope you make your save. Um, if you add a more predictable pattern to it, then they can use them to their advantage and they can kind of use them, interact with them as a puzzle.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, if it is really just a roll a 6 and on five or six, uh, some flames spout up, your players can't really do anything with that. If one round before or in the initiative count before it actually spurts, you get that k- 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 sound that you do get in the fire swamp, great. You can throw the R.O.U.S. into it. Right. Or if like, you know, there are...
1: Uh, say four different patterns of flames that erupt then you roll a d4 and figure out which pattern is fired on that turn but it's the same pattern each time right Mm -hmm. so either you know pattern one is always the same it might not come up this round but if i hold somebody in pattern in the space that's part of pattern one long enough eventually i will burn them to a crisp so what you're saying is grapple Yes. When in doubt, grapple. I am always trying to force people into grapples. <laughs> um, and a good example of this is the um, the clock arena in the second Hunger Games. Mm, this is outside my wheelhouse. Please explain. Okay, so the arena is set up in like twelve sectors, and then each hour, uh, the active sector moves. And some effect is generated there. So, like, Ah. there's a lightning storm in one sector that lasts for an hour, and then after an hour, it moves to the next one next to it, uh, and then it becomes like blustering winds, right? Um, And then it moves to the next one, which gets increasingly hot, like it's under a heat lamp or something. Which initially seems random, but ultimately, if they figure it out, the players are able to
0: use that to their advantage by planning around it. Mm -hmm. You get one or two, maybe two rounds of um, disorientation. And then you've got the information that you need to solve this puzzle. Right. And it's nice, especially if you're not fighting on the home turf of your enemy. So like in the arena example, uh, the enemies are still trying to figure that out as well. Right. And they don't necessarily know that like that energy net electrocutes you. (laughs) But a good way to find out is to push someone into it. Right.
1: Um and then and as i mentioned you know randomizing the events that occur is not always great like but randomizing the timing can be fantastic so if you're not sure when it's going to trigger but you know it will trigger or you'll know what is triggering but not sure when it can be helpful
0: right or if you're aware of the set of things that can happen right like i sort of think like um a beholder has 10 different rays mm-hmm. uh any of those can happen because you you do roll the D10 yep. and like that's the ray that happens, which means you have to plan for the paralyzing ray <laughs> as well as the freeze ray and the telekinesis ray <laughs> right. <laughs> but once if you've done your research on the beholder or you've been fighting the beholder long enough, you are aware of the set of actions it can take. And so you can therefore prepare for them or you are no longer surprised that it happened. you're just maybe surprised that it happened then, right all right so let's wrap
1: this up what are sort of the key takeaways for uh keeping combat interesting
0: i think it's important to remember that there's no single correct way to run combat there are two correct ways to run combat (laughs) my way and the highway (laughs) i'm playing a highway ronin i choose the road (laughs) sorry the road chooses me right (laughs) Uh, this is essentially what we say in a lot of circumstances is that you and your party and your group need to determine what's right for your game because you want to make sure that everyone's having fun you know you you just need to track like if the barbarian is just hitting things every single round with their great axe if they're having a good time then there's no problem right yeah and I mean it's not
1: just your group um, or your table, but it's also the game you're playing, the system that is standing behind it, right? Or the story that you've created, right? Make sure that the combat is working within that framework that you're uh that you're signed up for as well.
0: Yeah, and you can iterate. You know, we gave you know a half dozen different things that you can potentially do. Try them all out, not like all one, at the same time. One time, other time though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's an arena
1: combat in a banquet hall (laughs) with a refractor field
0: and the floor is lava. (laughs) Describe to me what happens. I I kill myself. (laughs) Okay, but how? (laughs) Like, with which weapon and how much blood is there? (laughs) Right. Does it hurt? Do you scream? What does your uniform say? (laughs) But if this is something that you find yourself maybe a bit trepidatious about try changing one thing because adding variety almost always is beneficial especially in combats like try something out for one encounter whether that's you know a social encounter or um an actual combat encounter like just try something different see if it works yeah i mean if for the
1: first time your players try to talk their way out of a combat maybe help edge the story towards that succeeding right find some way that they can do that so that they recognize, oh, that, that was different. That was not what we normally do, which is just draw swords and charge in at the first sign of conflict.
0: Yeah, and if you have a party who really likes combat and you know they would be disappointed not to have that combat, great. But maybe you make it easier or maybe they have more allies because they actually tried talking first. Right, or maybe you just move that combat a
1: little bit later in the adventure or in the session and now the people they just spoke to help them.
0: Which means that you actually can add an arena fight with lightning and um, you know some lava because mm-hmm. they've got a bigger party right <laughs>
1: uh, and then of course, it might not work right so if you do so if you try something new and it and it doesn't work, don't get discouraged, just abandon it it's not the end
0: of the world yeah, oh we're not gonna do that again, okay <laughs> <Yeah>. John <laughs> and your party might figure this out for you right it might just be like, well, we are not going to do that again right. <laughs> I thought overloading the hotshots instead of just trying to shoot at them would be a great idea. It was not a great idea. Uh, on that note, do you hear that, Ishan? That's the high-pitched whine of a hotshot shot last gun. It's not cycling properly, though. I'm pretty sure it's been set to blow. I think we should leave. Oh, we're not going to be able to leave unless we go to
1: the character creation forge to roll up new characters. Uh, that's the worst place. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at
0: Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at
1: gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at Total Thrill. So, kicking off anime... Is naturally a character that I have never heard of. So,
0: Ishin, who is Izanagi? Izanagi is not a person. Izanagi. What is Izanagi? <laughs> Izanagi is a a technique, a jutsu from Naruto. Okay, it's an illusory technique that is so powerful it convinces the user that they haven't actually died, and reality reshapes itself around the illusion. So, Izanagi allows a person to recover from death as if it never happened okay we've actually been toying with this build for a little while uh which is take all the stuff that lets you not die when you hit zero (laughs) and put them into one build i I know where you're going with this (laughs) so in um the actual show characters who use Izanagi can only do it twice, once per eye, because uh, once you use the uh, technique, you go blind in one eye Um, our Izanagi can do it a couple times a day (laughs) yeah, like 14 (laughs) per short rest
1: (laughs) so we've broken Naruto, perfect, done
0: so what is the build? it is half orc shadow sorcerer 1 undying warlock 7 Monk of the Long Death, 12.
1: So Half-Orc, I know, will get us Relentless Endurance, which uh, lets you
0: return with one hit point if you would be dropping to zero. Yeah, that's once per day, and that lets you do it, no matter what leveling order you choose, right at first level. Uh, Shadow Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide gives you Strength of the Grave. So you get Dark Vision, which is nice, uh, but also, once per day... You can make a charisma saving throw with a DC of five plus the damage taken to not drop below one hit point. And if you start off a uh, sorcerer or warlock, you're going to have proficiency in charisma saving throws. So that's not a bad idea. One thing to remember is you're going to know what the DC is, right? So since you have other abilities that uh, can let you no sell. Uh, damage that would kill you, like, for example, the Half-Orc's Relentless Endurance. Use this when it's actually not that much damage. So
1: right. when you're already very,
0: very low. Yeah, or, you know, maybe you already use Relentless Endurance. You're at one hit point. Right. Someone magic missiles you. All right. This is probably the time because it's 1d4 plus I, 1 damage. I can make that say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so from Warlock, we will get level 4 spells, and as a Warlock spell, we gain
0: Death Ward, which lasts eight hours and gives you Relentless Endurance. That's right. Uh, You get it from Undying Warlock, which is why we're taking that patron. And since you can cast two level four spells per encounter, there's no excuse for you not to have Death Ward up all the time. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And Death Ward is important because all of the other abilities that this build has uh, to not die... Trigger when you drop below one hit point. But there are things out there that just kill you outright, like power word kill or certain death effects. Right. Uh, Death ward just makes that not happen. Exactly. Uh, And oh no, my death ward is used up. With my next action, I cast death ward. (laughs) Uh, You also have access to the uh, what I think is really cool invocation called Tomb of Levistus. Uh, you have to be level 5 to get it, and when you take damage, you instantly gain uh, 10 times your warlock level in temporary hit points and are encased in a block of ice. You can't move and you're vulnerable to fire, but uh, 70 temp HP that lasts for a round is a pretty good way to make sure that you don't die. I like it. <laughs> So then the Monk of the Long Death uh, will get us extra attack and a big boost to our defenses. But, of course, you know what we're going for here. At level 11, you get Mastery of Death, which means you can spend one key point, no action, and uh, not and stay at one hit point instead of dropping below. Right. And, of course, you get your key points back with a short rest. You also get those death wards back with a short rest. Yeah, you're going to be here a while. <laughs> Look, I have time. I have time. I can wait. So in terms of
1: leveling order, I think we probably just take sorcerer first. Yeah, knock it out, because that starts you at level one with two ways to not die. Right, and that gets you your charisma saves that you're looking for
0: anyway. Um, And then probably take all the warlock, then the monk? Yeah, I think so, because we want those death wards, right? And, you know, warlock... Sorcerer gives you a lot of staying power at low levels because you're just relying on Eldritch Blast Uh, plus you've got utility spells so you're totally fine with that and then as you ramp up on Monk that's certainly not hurting you in any way and then it kind of
1: makes the Mastery of Death a capstone type ability which feels like it's the right place yeah you get it at 19 um,
0: 11 is really early to get that ability
1: yeah And also, since this is uh, themed around Izanagi, and apparently that only works twice, uh, obviously we won't break that until we're much, 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 much higher level. So,
0: Ishin, I sure hope you have an idea for Izanagi. (laughs) So, my Izanagi is fascinated with death. Not in the way that, like, Thanos is sort of like wants to date death, but wants to do what it says on the tin. Wants to become Master of death Wants to uh, understand how to Skirt its rules And so The first thing they do The first thing this this half-orc does um, Is they Die She as uh, A young child uh, Was injured In a raid And it was only her relentless endurance ability That kept her from just being outright Dead and this near-death experience colored her perception. It, in fact, awakened within her a bloodline. Uh, a bloodline of, of power and, and illusion. I, I always think of shadow magic as illusory magic. There were sort of ties to that in, like, 2nd and 3rd edition. Um, and, and so she realizes that the veil between life and death is actually very thin. You can maybe even slip through it and back if you understand how to do it. And so she goes on a quest to figure out exactly how to make sure that she can do that as she will. Unfortunately, this bloodline is not very strong. And so she reaches out to a patron who has already mastered the the difference. Um, something that is undying, something that lasts forever. Uh, it shows her deep and dangerous secrets and then eventually initiates her into... Um, a, a more a structured and religious education about exactly what death is and she continues her schooling in a monastery great finally that eventually sounds, that, that sounds reasonably anime-ish <laughs> it's the fourth season of the anime oh, okay oh, uh, we ran out of filler and we decided now we're gonna move it to a school oh great <laughs> this is a high school monastery yep there's the magical girl <laughs> All right, what about your Izanaki? Uh, it's a Clockwork Golem. Okay, I can get behind this. He just needs to get his key rewound, and uh, he's back in the fight. Ah, I see. So you, you built a Warforged. Uh, it's no, Warforged. I built
1: a Clockwork Golem, <laughs> which has a key in its back that needs to be rewound every once in a while. You can't hurt it. It just runs out of spins.
0: You take 40 damage. <laughs> now I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm all right. It's fine. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a
1: moment to thank our Patreon supporters.
0: Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash TotalPartyThrill.
1: And you can find a link to the Character Creation Forge Codex, which includes all of the builds from the Character Creation Forge that we have ever built, including all of these anime builds.
0: Oh, yeah, they're all going to be gathered. Maybe I'm going to make them a different color. Well, so please, they're really easy to find please stop I'll add some stars <laughs> uh, f- oh what? maybe maybe like a cute chibi what do we have planned for next Cats, week's maybe? episode <laughs> next week we're talking about explaining a new RPG system and in the character creation forge we're building Sailor Moon well that's it for episode 144
1: of Total Party Thrill I hope we lived up to our name but either way I'm Shane and I'm Ishan thanks for listening one down four to go